2: the exxon radio show is heard on radio broadcast affiliates worldwide including am 580 cfra in ottawa ontario canada wpul am 1590 in daytona beach florida K-O-H-I AM 1610 in St. Helens, Oregon. K-H-R-O AM 1150 in El Paso, Texas. And for more information on becoming a professional broadcast affiliate of the Exxon Radio Show, visit www.xzbn.net or call toll-free worldwide 1-800-610-7035.
0: deceive me now here's a surprise I know that you have cause there's magic in my eyes I can see see for miles miles and miles and miles and miles and miles oh yeah if you
3: think
2: and welcome back to the Xone everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada on the Talk Star Radio Network, Exxon Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, and Star Cable. Toll-free worldwide, 1-800-610-7035. My email address is exxon at X-Zone Radio TV dot com. On MSN Messenger, Radio TV at hotmail.com and our website, www.xzoneradiotv.com. This hour, XO Nation, Skip Outwater is our special guest. He is the uh, research director at the Monroe Institute. Skip was guided from within to a career as a counter-spy during the Cold War era, where he used his natural psychic aptitude as a U.S. Army counterintelligence special agent. He played a key role in the remote viewing intelligence program, now known to the world by the codename Stargate. For 10 years, Skip was the operations and training officer for this secret remote viewing program. He recu- recruited and trained an elite cadre of professional intelligence officers to do remote viewing for the Department of Defense and various members of the national intelligence community. He planned, conducted, and reported thousands of remote viewing intelligence collection missions. Working in the Bob Monroe Research Lab, he has explored the realms of his own consciousness and adopted a spiritual perspective of everyday life. In his role as research director, he published technical research on methods for expanding consciousness, authored the inspirational book, Captain of My Ship, Master of My Soul, which is now available as an ebook, and assisted hundreds of individuals in experiencing. And exploring expanded states of consciousness. Joining me now from the Monroe Institute is Skip Outwater. Skip, welcome to the X Zone. Thank you very much, Rob. Nice to be here. It's great having you with us, Skip. Uh, could you give our listeners what a uh, you know the basic definition of remote viewing is?
4: Well, um, there are several ways to answer that question. Uh, we think of it as a mental means to describe uh, locations, activities that are distant from you, blocked by distance, whether that distance be in time Mm -hmm. or in space. Um, A more refined definition is that it's a very protocol-driven, scientifically-based procedure. It is not waking up from a prophetic dream or... Having some sort of vision is a very controlled type of um, use of psychic perception.
2: Skip, you and I have to take a commercial break. We'll be back in two minutes. Exo Nation, Skip Atwater is our very special guest. He is the research director at the Monroe Institute. And his website and the website for the Monroe Institute is www.monroeinstitute.org. That's www. MonroeInstitute.org. The X-Zone is a place where people dare to believe, dare to be heard, Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern. And you can always listen to us if you've missed the show by going to www.xzonepodcast.com. And for more information on the TV series Paragators, visit the website www.paragators.org. Skip Atwater and I will return on the other side of this break as we continue from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away.
0: We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast, but the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you
1: now get a sausage Mcmuffin sausage biscuit sausage burrito or hash browns choose two for 250 enjoy a large iced coffee for just two dollars Price of participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer a combo meal single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
3: Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save.
0: I'm looking through you. Where did you go?
2: Skip Batwater is our special guest. He is the research director at the Monroe Institute. Their website is www.monroeinstitute.org. Skip, when was the when was the decision made and who made the decision that the US Army and other intelligence agencies? I, I should have said the Department of Defense and other mm-hmm. members of the national intelligence community were going to use remote viewing.
4: Uh, I think that there is not one exact date that that began, but a series of events that happened over a period mm-hmm. of time. If we um, look back in the very early 1970s, apparently the CIA was providing um, intelligence collection requirements. They used to call them Ickers, intelligence collection requirements, to a widespread um, intelligence effort to find out if there was anybody which was in then the Soviet bloc countries, behind the Iron Curtain, as we used to say, or any other places in the world that were investigating paranormal phenomena and um, developed several leads, several reports pertaining to Um, money being spent and um, high-level scientists investigating things. And that led to approaching um, a research organization known as Stanford Research Organization, Stanford Research Institute, or SRI International as it's now called, and finding a man by the name of Dr. Puthoff, who had stumbled across some research that he was interested in with Ingo Swan. Mm-hmm. And uh, in 1972, then, he worked with Ingo Swan, a, a remote viewer, to do several experiments and published those reports in mm-hmm. the a Journal for Electrical Engineers, which is the IEEE Journal. When the CIA got word of this, they approached Dr. Putoff and said, boy, have we been looking for you. And he said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, we have these reports from these uh, foreign <clears throat> research organizations that are studying paranormal activity, and we would like you to replicate some of the experiences, some of the experiments that they're doing to see whether or not the results they're producing are true or is this some sort of false propaganda or false intelligence. So SRI was originally under contract in the very early 1970s to replicate the work being done at foreign locations that had been detected by the CIA.
2: How would the CIA actually get their hands on the information of the experiment that could be replicated?
4: Well, they use a multidiscipline intelligence approach. You know, you uh, hire a janitor who works in the building, and you watch the cash flow through the banks and find out what professors from what universities are going to work in what laboratories. Mm -hmm. A very intricate uh, multi-source. Picture emerges as to what's going on in that building and who's working there, how much work is being done, what are people talking about in the coffee shop and so forth, and then attempting to replicate that activity
2: what were some of the experiments that were that were repeated on this side of the iron curtain
4: <clears throat> the idea of being able to Uh, again, to describe things at a distance, what in a more occult expression might be clairvoyance. Mm -hmm. Um, There was some attempt at psychokinesis uh, that much of that psychokinesis work went to Princeton University rather than Stanford Research Institute back in the 70s. And there was always this oh concept of manipulation or the ability to make someone do something else. Remember the chess game, was it with Karpov? Or something, was that the Russians' name? There was an accusation that uh, there was mind control yes, yes, being used. Yeah. You remember that story? Yeah, I sure do. Uh, so there was, there was a concept of uh, is there an ability to do this? Can these people that seemingly describe Mm -hmm. things at distant locations or can um, bend metal or alter random number generators? Could they in some way be used to affect the behavior of human beings or stop a rabbit's heart or all these strange suppositions? So many of those things were examined and looked into and as the years passed, eventually there was a defector that came out from behind the Iron Curtain, who had worked in all these labs and could verify the research being done and the results that were coming out of there.
2: Were the were the uh, were the experiments successfully repeated?
4: The uh, ones for distant viewing or remote viewing, as it came to be called, mm-hmm. were successfully repeated. Although it was a um, an interesting story, and Dr. Putoff originally working with Ingo Swan, um, they were trying to have him describe objects hidden in boxes, and then they would open the object and match his descriptions, see how closely he was able to describe. And the joke is that um, with Ingo's many invitations to go home, uh, meaning that he was sort of an honorary guy and said, this is the stupidest experiment I've ever seen in my life. If I want to know what's in that box, I'll just reach over and open the box. He says, this is trivial nonsense that you're doing. And, of course, the scientists are all like, trivial? Well, We're scientists. We're doing this in a controlled fashion and so forth. And so he says, see that big world map you have on the wall there? He said, give me the coordinates of any place on there, and I'll describe what's there. And of course, the scientists didn't believe him. Russell Targ and Hal Putoff were like, well, okay, but first tell us what's inside this little box <laughs> over here. <kind> of thing. <laughs> and so eventually, uh, sort of placating themselves, they said, okay, we have some hidden coordinates uh, for you. You're in a blank room and describe what's so many degrees north, so many degrees west. And he gave a pretty good description of uh, a mountain area with buildings in a valley and so forth, and they're like, well, that's interesting. That was a good guess you gave. (laughs) So they repeated this many times, and then eventually um, they asked their sponsor, the CIA, to begin to provide some coordinates of interesting locations. Uh, so that it, you know, the scientists themselves didn't invent this. The CIA, the people that were paying for the research, would provide coordinates, uh, and that's what led into the idea of this being not just verifying um, the research that had been done mm-hmm. around the world, but actually using it in an operational sense.
2: Now, can, when somebody is remote viewing, can they remote view into the future as well as into the past, or is it just in real time, present real time?
4: Uh-huh. When from, standing in the shoes of a remote viewer, right. time doesn't matter. The remote viewer themselves doesn't have an analytical understanding of time. They're just reporting their perceptions. So the trick becomes targeting them or assigning their intent towards what perception. The easy answer to your question is they can go anywhere in time. But I needed to say, when you're in the shoes of the remote viewer, it's, you can't answer the same way. It's the fact that time, as we think of it as past and future, just doesn't matter.
2: What are the mechanics of remote viewing?
4: <clears throat> it seems to be a ability to focus one's intention in a – we don't want to say a specialized altered state of consciousness because that's getting too spooky. But it has to do with an ability to relax, focus one's intention, mm-hmm. and the ability to describe the perceptions you're having without attaching – meaning or what we call in the business analytical overlay if in your head you're ans- asking questions gee i wonder what that is oh, mm-hmm. oh what would that be that's not going to produce successful remote viewing results you have to report out what you're perceiving unattached to the meaning of what those things are that's the job of an analyst to put things together
2: how many remote viewing missions did you did you take place in during your time with the uh, with the intelligence agencies?
4: Um, thousands. <laughs> I mean, with one remote, famous remote viewer, Joe McMonigal, I have done more than a thousand remote viewings with him alone. And over the years, I probably worked with twenty different remote viewers. Um, so a lot of them.
2: You know, here here we've got the United States government still looking for Osama bin Laden. Why don't they just ask yourself and and other professional remote viewers to find him?
4: Well, there's, again, probably ten answers to that. There's an assumption that we don't know where Osama is. Um, So, is it better to have him... Alive than to have him martyred and become uh, a symbol uh, for his kind. Another answer, whole other answer. Forget I ever said that. A whole other answer is if I describe where he is now, I might say uh, a a dark smoke-filled cave with soot on the ceiling, and uh, I smelled. You're, descri- you're, dis- <laughs> you're, dis- you're, descri-
2: you're describing all of the caves in that part of the world.
4: Right. So yeah. it isn't very helpful in saying, well, where is it?
2: <laughs> all right. Stand uh, by. Skip, you and I have to take sure. a commercial break at the bottom of the hour with the news. Skip Outwaters, our special guest. He is the research director at the Monroe Institute. Their website is www.monroeinstitute.org. I'll be back with Skip Atwater on the other side of this commercial break as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. dot Radio TV dot com So, nation, Skip Outwater is our special guest. We're talking about remote viewing, and uh, Skip is the research director at the Monroe Institute. Their website is www.monroeinstitute.org, and uh, Skip was a um, a special agent with the U.S. Army Counterintelligence agents, and uh, he was, uh, you know, he played a key role in the remote viewing intelligence program, now known to the world by the code name Stargate. I, I would imagine that people in general, Skip, have a total misconception of, of how people remote view. I mean, how the professionals like yourself and other members uh, actually do the remote viewing. And um, I, I was wondering if you could take us through the basic uh, steps that, that a remote viewer would remote view
4: sure um there I, there's lots of popular movies and tv shows that uh, dramatize the activity you, you um, mean, for you purposes mean, of um you know entertainment you mean you didn't um, make
2: goats fall over <laughs>
4: it's it, it's not uh, as strange or different than people would think um first of all there are probably a half a dozen um techniques that people use in terms of the way in which they describe the information, Uh, meaning the way they write it down on a piece of paper, a certain series of questions that they always attempt to answer. But in general terms, there is a period of time when you um, sit uh, or lay down in in a very quiet place, and you might have someone that works with you, that um, asks you questions during the process, or you might uh, work alone with a a piece of paper or Mm -hmm. uh, some sort of a designator of what you are to describe. Remember that in remote viewing, I said it was a scientific protocol-driven process. So you don't come up in your sit down today and say, oh, I'm going to remote view who's at McDonald's for breakfast. The the problem with that is that it fills your mind up, you personally, your mind up with every time you've ever been to McDonald's and every person that you've ever seen in there. So uh, this idea of self-targeting isn't as successful as one might think and it's also referred to as front-loading. In other words, if I was to say to you, okay, today we're going to be remote viewing McDonald's. Are you ready? Now describe, you know, and that's called front loading. It's much better if you have no foreknowledge Mm -hmm. whatsoever of what you're expected to perceive, that if the targeting is what's called blind to you, so it can be a um, um, set of geographic coordinates. It can be, say, uh, a sealed envelope. And in this picture is a, in this envelope is a picture of someone, and we need you to describe that person, their state of health and their location. And you focus and concentrate on that's my task at hand. I need to describe this information they need. And then you turn inward to a mental plane, a mental slate perhaps in your own mind, people experience it differently, and s- simply wait for information to come, and you might have a perception of a a tree. And so you write down or draw on your paper mm-hmm. a tree, but you have to discipline yourself to say, oh... A tree, yeah, it must be a forest. Oh, look, there's a forest and there's grass here. You, know, you cannot be asking yourself analytical questions uh, about what is the meaning of the tree. You just simply wait for the next piece of information to come in. Interestingly enough, um, over the four decades that this has been going on, it turns out that many of those mental perceptions that percolate into consciousness without being attached to some sort of analytical signature are capable of being validated as being ground truth pertaining to a particular location or a particular activity as though mentally we have access to this information but if we don't pay attention to it like right now mm-hmm. I'm paying attention to talking to you on the phone I'm not right. paying attention to these things I might uh, come to know had I paid attention to something
2: else. Um, is it very hard for someone to learn how to be a, a remote viewer?
4: Um, I can't. <laughs> I've been in this business such a long time. There are always yeah. multiple answers to every question.
2: Give me your top three answers. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
4: <laughs> one, one approach is you can't possibly learn to do remote viewing. It's a natural talent. So, that does away with that (laughs) another answer is that yes you can learn and there are different techniques that you may be more drawn to more successful Mm -hmm. Um, they teach a technique called controlled remote viewing there's a technique of Uh, meditative remote viewing, there's techniques uh, using NLP concepts in remote viewing, you need to find out what kind of a person are you, what kind of a thinker are you, how do you process the world around you, and find a particular technique that works for you. It certainly is not difficult to set a novice down, give them a five-minute briefing, and then target them on something. And you have a lot of beginner's luck of finding out, oh my goodness, I can do this. I never knew what those images in my head were, but now I see they can actually pertain to something. And you go from that into building up under general learning theory an increasing skill level, learning about um, not jumping to conclusions, not adding things to your perceptions to display only the facts of the things you perceive. So it does appear um, in this argument to be a learnable skill, just like you might learn to play the violin or the piano or um, to learn to dance.
2: <clears throat> if a if a person was to be was a member of the military, would they be a better candidate to learn? Uh, remote viewing, since they have been trained how to pay strict attention to orders and to concentrate and to focus?
4: That's a really good question. When I, um, in 1977, when I first asked uh, Dr. Putoff, mm-hmm. how do you choose a remote viewer? He was looking at me like, oh man, you guys are going to get a bunch of special forces snake eater people. <laughs> and so, <laughs> finally, he said, well, listen, we have sort of six criteria and I can't remember them all right now, but they're certainly in my book. You need to have people that have a good reputation in your office. They're the guy you go to to get the job done. You need to have a person who is a what we might call a global thinker, a person who is willing to take in, to inflow a whole lot of data, mm-hmm. um, you know, before not someone who is quick to snap decisions, but someone who wants to absorb a lot of data, fi- always find out more information before they come to any kind of a conclusion. So uh, we looked around when we first interviewed um, in the military community, we looked around for people like this, people that had this kind of approach to life dependable people that you know who's the guy you go into an office and there's 40 people working there and you ask the boss who's the guy you go to when you want to be sure this job is done and they say oh mary over there lieutenant mary you know fitzgerald she gets the job done every single time and so you know that's the first thing well has mary ever thought about this or has mary ever thought about that so it's an, uh, an interesting process, and there does seem to be a profile, but really the only way you can find out for sure is to try it for yourself. Mm-hmm. And the, one of those things you ask about, can you learn to do remote viewing? There is another concept of uh, natural talent that says there one-tenth of one percent of the population can have a specific talent, Uh, a person who has that uh, artistic talent, a person who is the athlete, a person who is a musician. We sort of divide up our population and one-tenth of one percent seem to gravitate to those expert people. What that means is in remote viewing, one-tenth of one percent of Americans, there are 300 million people, so one-tenth of one percent is 30,000 people. So there ought to be 30,000 really good remote Mm. viewers someplace. We just don't know where they are. And what about the piano players? Well, if you didn't get lucky as a kid and got piano lessons or in junior high learned to play the violin, you might have that talent inside you, but you just don't know until you try.
2: Does a person's IQ have uh, an effect on their ability to remote view?
4: I think uh, people with very high IQs get wrapped up in our educational system. And much of, this is an interesting thing to say, much of remote viewing is learning to unlearn or undo the habits that are encouraged by our current academic environment. When we grow up as children, we're, um, you know, your parents put a ball in front of you, and they have you look at it, and they say, ball, ball, it's a ball. Look, you can play with it, mm-hmm. and you're rewarded. The minute you say the word ball, everybody's, oh, oh, so thrilled. Look, you said the word ball. And this continues to be um, a way in which we are educated in our Western modern society. Now, in remote viewing, you are trained not to say the word ball. You are to describe the raw perceptions. You'd sort of say, soft, round, uh, lightweight. You know, the, you, they don't want you to jump to the word ball, because that is too much of a conclusion about the raw perceptions you're at. So, yes, I think intellect helps. You certainly have to be have an average or slightly above average, you know, they say average intelligence is about 100, so something 100, 120, 130s, but when you get up into the 150, 160 range, it may be that you're latched into the um, academic reward system too much. Never had the opportunity to uh, examine that scientifically.
2: Do men make better remote viewers than women, or do women make better remote viewers? And does age have anything to do with the quality of the of the remote viewing um, success ratio?
4: Sure, um, there is some. I don't think there's any difference between men and women. It has more to do with the life they lead. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you have a richness of experience and a richness of vocabulary you're simply able to express yourself better. Uh, so that would mean that if you're 12 years old, you're not going and haven't done a whole lot of life and have a huge vocabulary, you're just not going to be able to describe and experience what's that's happening in your head. So I don't think there's a difference between men and women. There is a certain um, maturity of life that would be required, mm-hmm. but I have not... Ever dealt with anybody that um, age was not a problem? Obviously, if they had dementia, that wouldn't work. Cause they have trouble dealing with the physical world, sure. let alone the things that are coming into their head.
2: Tell me, Skip, would um, or could astral projection be used to enhance the abilities of remote viewers?
4: Yeah, that's a very commonly asked question and a very good one because uh, astral projection has a reputation for being able to see very crisp and clearly, in it. It's as vivid or more vivid than the eye-seen reality, the EYE-seen reality. Um, There are some interesting concepts there. People uh, who have a great amount of experience in both dimensions, in both remote viewing and in out-of-body or astral projection, say there are differences between the two and uh, limitations and advantages. Uh, when you are having an out-of-body experience or an astral projection, there is this sense of prepositional orientation and action verb, meaning you perceive yourself to have to move up, down, left, right, through the wall, through the door, to go from one place to another, and you have the sense that you, you in your supposed astral body must make those actions, uh, in remote viewing, that's not the case. In remote viewing, it's a pure information transfer. There's no such thing as if I'm going to describe the outside the building, I have to move outside the building. It, that just isn't in the equation of remote viewing, just like time isn't in the equation.
2: Skip, you and I have to take a commercial break. We'll be right back. ExoNation's Skip Outwaters our special guest. He is the research director at the Monroe Institute, www. Monroe institute org We'll be back on the other side of this brief break. Don't go away. Love is but a song we sing. Fierce we will die.
0: You can make mountains
3: ring. we oh, make.
2: And welcome back, everyone. Uh, Skip Atwater is our special guest of this hour. He's the Director of Research at the Monroe Institute. If you'd like to get more information about Skip, uh, he can be found at www.monroainstitute.org forward slash skip atwater. That's www.monroainstitute.org forward slash skip atwater. Uh, first of all, Skip, I want to thank you ever so much for joining us. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. Um, where do you see remote viewing in the future? And, and why did the why did the government and intelligence agencies drop remote viewing?
4: Well, again, that's a very interesting supposition uh, that they drop remote viewing. Um, when I was working with the government, I knew that there were. Um, There was more than one remote viewing program going on simultaneously, and Mm -hmm. the one known as Stargate that came out of Stanford Research Institute was the one that was declassified uh, in 1995, and then there were some private contractors that went on to do some other things. For example, Dr. Ed May and Joe McMonigle, have actually traveled to the Soviet Union and met the remote viewing team in re- in Russia. Since uh, everybody's all handshakes and friendly, take a Russian to lunch time. Um, so it was a, a very interesting uh, change in perspective. But uh, I would not bet a nickel that um, our intelligence services don't today use remote viewing.
2: What do you think the next step in evolution of remote viewing is going to be?
4: Well, I think that there is uh, now a um, focus and turn to the more talented people. (laughs) There's been an interesting history over the past several decades Mm -hmm. of we have very special, talented people to moving for two decades into, no, everybody can do it, oh, it's so wonderful, we're all just uh, wonderful, we can all do this, to finding out we have two decades of lost research on those people who seem to do this quite naturally without any special training and do it very well. So uh, finding out the uniqueness of this human behavior, Mm -hmm. there are rumors that in. Chinese children are tested early and then separated off into special schools to develop these uh, enhanced human abilities, these uh, talents that uh, people have. So I think that's probably where the future lies in the recognition that we don't know everything there is to know about this. And we need to do more study and come to a better understanding of those people who express this as a natural talent.
2: Skip, I want to thank you once again for joining us. Great talking to you. I hope we have the pleasure of having you back here in the Exxon in the future. Be glad to. Take care, sir. Exonation. Skip Atwater, the Director of Research at the Monroe Institute, www.monroeinstitute.org forward slash Skip Atwater. Well, that's it for tonight. I'd like to thank all my guests tonight and all the stations around the world who carry the XO. And I'd like to thank you, the XO Nation, for allowing us to be part of your day, your night, no matter where you are on this beautiful blue planet of ours. So until tomorrow night, be kind to each other, love your children, and always keep your eyes to the sky and your heart to the light. Good night now.
0: I know.